of a Yahweh. Thank you this day, Father God, for taking me, bringing me here, the opportunity to share your word, your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, Father God, to any that would hear. But more importantly, to listen, to turn and seek your face, Father God. Seek your face and your truth, your knowledge and your wisdom. And that that you gave us to your word, Father God. The Bible is our guidance, our roadmap, our instruction manual, everything we need to walk in this plane of existence. Boldly, courageously, upright, Father God, in your word. So the Holy Spirit has a way and does the will. And we have to be very willing to just follow that thing and not be set in our own mind, in our own divination. And I even have to, and I even am cautioning to myself because there are times where I do that. And jumping, as you will, some use, jumping to a conclusion. We spend a lot of time doing that. We exercise ourselves and jumping to conclusions, making decisions about something that is, hasn't even happened, may not happen, won't happen, but we have decided in our own mindset that it is and will. And we are actually sinful in doing that because we are not given tomorrow. We have been given a gift that we pervert by taking that and twisting it into something that it's not meant to be. Our Father God gave us a gift. He gives us lots of gifts, but he gave us a gift of being able to pre-plan. Um, he gave us a gift of um, he gave us a gift of forethought that we would be able to see things or not really see things, but um, to be able to think of those things that have not taken place yet. And his intentions were according to the definitive explanation for forethought is a, he's given us that thoughtful provision that we can think about a process beforehand before it takes place. And the intention is that we can 
give it consideration and care. However, we have taken that and twisted it and perverted it so that we take these day planners, and I've shared this with you before, these day planners, and we fill them with garbage, stuff that has to get done by such and such time, must be done before this, and I can't do this before that. And we get so caught up in that, but this is a gift that God gave us, and we perverted it. We perverted it and twisted it into something that it was not intended to be. And that's a, but we we do this. I mean, we do this. We do this. And this is what I I'm telling you. You have these individuals, so we don't want to get caught up in that perversion of these things because we have those that I've shared before with you of uh, you know, you have those that uh, uh, taking the word and tainted it and twisted it, perverted it. And as I was sharing with you that one individual who claims to be a pastor, I don't know, I couldn't figure out quite what he was. You have these individuals that, um, and much like the pharmaceutical men that would walk around with their high headgear and their draping scarves and they had a they had a way to dress in order to um, draw attention and that's what it that's what that was it was only about drawing attention to themselves And they liked to parade around in the markets and people would know who they were before they even got to them so that they would, they would part the sea, so to speak. They would, they would open up and allow them to pass through and then they would be very careful about how they passed through so that they didn't touch anyone. Oh, if they touched somebody that was not proven to be clean and that they had not ordained to clean, then they would be unclean and then they'd have to do this little ceremonial garbage for so many days. Keep in mind, brothers and sisters, that the problem that kept coming up with the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees <laughs> they were together against anyone that f was following God. But they were against each other because they didn't believe what the other believed, but yet they were part of this group. And I've shared with you before that they had to have the uh, 
they had to have uh, a committee of judges sit and decide between to keep them from becoming physical in their argument because they would argue so much. And they did so even with Jesus when Jesus appeared before them. You had you had members of the Pharisees though that took heed of what Jesus said. And uh, Nicodemus and some of his students, they were following what Jesus was saying intently and they were following the mystery of his great love. And Nicodemus came to the conclusion that what Jesus was saying was quite possibly real and and it opened up, it expanded his mind more so and where he ran into the problem was that he couldn't grasp it because he kept trying to figure it out. And he kept running into this problem and the problem was himself. Do we not do that very same thing that we create more problems for ourselves than need be done? Yes, we do. And when I was getting ready to have to, to move from where I was, I created more of a problem for myself and the agitation and the uh, fear that I allowed to come in and stir up that I gave credence to all these things that were going on in my mind and became fearful. And I've shared this with you before. If we allow fear to govern our walk and our decisions, we are fearful. God does not mind that we are afraid of things. He knows that. He knows we're weak. He knows that we're in this plane of existence and that there were choices and decisions that have been made that have disrupted this thing that he intended to be of beauty for us. And there are those amongst us that have destroyed all of that. I mean, just look around. But what we have to do is with spiritual eyesight and faith, we look out and see the beauty and the majesty and the strength and the power of the Lord God around us all the time. It is declared by all things around us, the might and majesty of the Lord God Almighty. We need to focus on that. And we need to rebuke that fear. Remember, I've shared this with you before. Fear is a liar. He is. He's a liar. And fear is one of the pseudonyms of Satan. He is called fear. He's called the serpent. He's called the great dragon. Some even still call him Lucifer, 
They prefer Lucifer over Satan. Like what? That's going to beautify and make it easier to talk about him? No, that's not what that is. Lucifer just used to be. used to be his heavenly name. Why are you going to give him his heavenly? Give him a heavenly attribute that he doesn't deserve. He was called Lucifer when he was one of the archangels, and he was. He was cast out of heaven for a reason, because he tried to usurp the sovereignty and authority of God and declare that he could be as God. And he had certain of the angels that were kicked out as well, as demons that are, are now demons. This is um, this is kind of what what Jesus was speaking about, I believe. And I sat here, I started one direction, and the Holy Spirit took me completely a different way. But if we go, we're going to go back, and we're going to share. Um, I was reading in Habakkuk, which is one of the near end books of the Old Testament. And uh, I started there, but the Holy Spirit guided me out, took me a different direction, which is great because that's what I'm supposed to do is follow what, what he tells me to do. So now we're going to look at what I was sharing with you is relevant to what I'm about to share with you. And, and uh, we find it in Revelation 2. Um, I'm going to start in 15 and 16. And then we're going to backtrack and, and digress slightly. But in Revelation 2, 15 and 16, this is... Remember that this first portion of Revelation, and a lot of people get really, they, they, they get so silly about the book of Revelation. There are individuals that claim to be Christian that don't want to read the book of Revelation at all because their claim is that it's all doom and gloom and it's also, you know, it's talking about the prophecy, the end of the world and blah, 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 blah. Well, See, I have a problem with that. And the problem that I have with it is because this is the book in some translations now right here in mine, in this particular study Bible, it says a revelation of St. John the Divine. And that's what they would call him because he was the beloved uh, disciple of Jesus. He was the one that was always chasing and trying to be as close as he could to Jesus as he possibly could. He was also the one that when you see the depiction of the Last Supper, that he's the one that is closest to Jesus and leaning against him. And they, at some place they call him John the Beloved. And this is also the same John who they tried to martyr <laughs> a number of times. I can't even remember the count now. I think it was six times they tried to kill him and it couldn't be done to them. So they stuck him out on the island of Patmos and just let him, he finally got so old and went to heaven. 
But this is the book of Revelation, is the revelation in some translations right underneath the heading instead of Revelation of St. John the Divine. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what the book of Revelation is about. It's revealing to us Jesus in a different light. And there are those individuals who get so uptight about it because it's talking about the last time. And what did Jesus tell us? He was be with us until the end of the age. Well, it's coming. Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about it back in the book of Matthew, Matthew 24. You can find Jesus telling us about the last days. And he tells us what? That it'll be as it was in the days of Noah before the return of the Son of Man. Look back in the Bible, look in the Old Testament and read about how bad it was that, that God just got so tired of doing and repairing and just and and nobody would come to God, nobody would come and spend time with him, nobody would sit with him in the early morning hours of the day and visit with God. They all turned their back on him. So, and here's the thing too. I, I think, I, this is just a speculation on my part, and I'm gonna share it, because the Holy Spirit told me it's okay. Why did it take Noah so long to build the ark? Well, first of all, it was really, really big, okay? And he didn't have contractors and those that were hired to come and help. Okay. And he was doing it with his family. Okay. But here's the other thing. And I'm going to interject this portion. Is that for 120 years that it took him to finish the building of the ark. Noah was preaching to the people. And he was about our father's business. Exactly what I do here now, exactly what each one of us are called to do so that everyone has the opportunity to choose to be adopted into the family of God, to be one with their brothers and sisters to be of one house, of one family, of one table, in unity together. For 120 years, he preached that. He wasn't just building the ark. <clears throat> Gave him 120 years for the possibility of repentance and talking about that turning point. And none accepted. They chose instead to degrade, debase, deride. They, they loved everything they could possibly do to go out there. I, I suspect, of course, I don't have this as factual knowledge, but I would speculate that they probably took their blankets out there and had picnic lunches and sitting around watching him just work on this thing. Didn't offer to help him. Hey, Noah, it looks like you're having a little hard time up there on the scaffold. Can I come up and help you? No, they didn't do that. Instead, tough. Having a little hard time up there, huh, old guy? Yeah, that's what you get for building a boat out here where there's no lakes and streams or puddles. 
There's no water out here. There's no water where we live. Noah, you live here. Couldn't figure that out, you silly old man. This is what they would do every day for 120 years. And some of them, <laughs> some of them died in their making fun of Noah for 120 years. They didn't repent. And then, as the song said, when I was little, he used to sing it, and the rains came down and the floods came up. Then they're screaming and hollering, wait, 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 don't shut that down. Not too late. God put his mighty hand against it and sealed it. Sealed him and his family in with all the other animals and shut the door for them. Sealed them out. God didn't want to do that. God wants us to have the opportunity of repentance. But we have within the house of God, the body of the church, we have those and in the book in Revelation 2, shared with you, 2, 15 and 16. We have individuals, groups within the church that are this very same way. And as Jesus told John in verse 15, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Sounds pretty tough. What's Jesus talking about? Well, first of all, you know that everything that comes out of his mouth is truth. Everything that Jesus has to say is always truth. And what does it say when he comes back? That will proceed from his mouth? Still, truth. Always about truth. He speaks the truth, always. And what's he talking? Now, the, the thing with Nicolaitans, if any of you know who they are, but possibly not. Well, the Nicolaitans was a faction of individuals and they had different offshoots that came in. They claimed to be one thing, but were actually shown otherwise. They claimed to be Christian and they made their way into churches and they were accepted into the church. Um, and this was this particular church that Jesus was speaking about. This is the church at Pergamos. And the Nicolaitans came in and they were a dissentive group. And they told the body that it was okay to eat the fruit and food that was offered to the false idols, first of all. And that they practiced ritualistic fornication and convinced members of the church it was okay 
that that was acceptable. Well, we know that that's not acceptable. So I'm going to I'm going to digress here a little bit, and I'm going to go back into uh, Revelation two, and I'm going to begin at verse twelve. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write these things, saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. He's coming in and he's speaking the word of truth. Remember what I told you about the tongue? It is as a two-edged sword. Jesus described it as that. It's like a two-edged sword. But the thing of it is that we need to be cautious with that, but Jesus, he speaks truth. He speaks honesty. And sometimes when he speaks that truth, it hurts. And we should know this in this walk, in this plane of existence that we're in, that the truth sometimes can hurt. But it's truth. And we are told and taught, and if you follow the word and you are a true believer, and a true Christian and not a label head and a self-proclaimed Christian, if you're a true Christian and a true believer, then you know. Then you know, because this we are taught. So further, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Now, he's talking about where they allowed the devil to come in and sort of made that his little capital city, we'll say. And that they allow that to happen because these individuals that came in and Jesus is talking, they remember when John is writing these letters and he says to the angel of the church, he's talking about the pastor, the preacher, the head honcho, the, the one who's in charge, that Jamie, my head pastor at my church that I go to, church that I attend, he would be called the angel of the church of Antioch. It's a terminology for a pastor. Pastors are called, there are many terms. They're called the shepherd, the good shepherd, preacher, pastor, the the elder of the church. Um those who are a matter of verbal schematics, and they're not. But Jesus called them to the angel of the church of Pergamos, and that would be the preacher. And the letter that John wrote to all these churches, that the pastor was to, to read these letters to the congregation and talk to them and 
follow what Jesus was telling him. So, to the angel of the church at Pergamos, as Jesus said further reading in verse 14, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that held the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Jesus hates that because they were allowed to come into the church with false doctrine, false teaching. They were accepted, brought in, and all these lies and, and oh, it's okay if you do this here, and, and that's okay. No, it's not okay. Just like I've shared with you before. It is not okay to tell a little white lie and to lie if you're doing it so you don't hurt somebody's feelings. Figure it out and pray for it because a lie is a lie. It is an abomination to God to tell a lie to someone and to speak untruth. And that's exactly what a lie is. It's not a bending of the truth. It is an untruth, period. And it's not okay. Just like it's not okay to allow these to come into the house of God, into the body, and to speak blasphemies and absolute frowardness against the word of God, which is exactly what the Nicolaitans were doing. They were allowed to come into the church and accept it. Oh, it's okay if you do this. No, it's not okay. It's not okay to, to worship a false idol. It's not okay to pray. To, and it's not okay that you just go in and, and you know, on this, the fornications that were taking place and it, it was a uh, ritualistic. And, but that was okay. No, it's not. If God says it's not right, it's not right, period. There is no bending it. There's no twisting it. And I shared with you, I had a discussion with somebody the other day already, and I, I had to just stop the discussion because it was, quite honestly, it was becoming annoying where they were trying to justify lying. Well, it's not okay. And then they became very adamant and they became argumentative. Well, we're not to be confrontational. And so I just stopped talking because it was becoming something. And of course the devil loves this sort of thing. That in our mindset, we, we allow that to, to bubble and stir up kind of like a boiling pot and then you erupt. Well, that's where you turn that heat down and you, you turn it off. You have to give it to God and just let go of it. And, and I was trying to be reasonable and discussion. And the Bible is very specific. Jesus is very specific. Jesus always spoke the truth. We are, all, we are told to speak the truth and only the truth. We are told, and this is one of the Ten Commandments, not to bear false witness. And I shared with you before. A false witness is that presenting or continuing anything that is not of truth 
but bearing it out as if it were truth. What's that word? Lie. And this is what children who are born without guile, they don't know how to do that. They have to be taught how to lie, cheat, and steal. And that comes from either older children who have taught, been taught and allowed to continue doing so, or by their, sadly, their own parents who teach these children that it's okay to lie. It's okay to do that so that you don't hurt somebody's feelings. And I think I gave you the, the uh, analogy toward that and, and the demonstration, and I think it's very poignant, is that you have a man and woman that lie to each other about clothing that they're going and they go, and yet they go out, and their friends who are always known to tell them the truth because they've been hanging out since they were in junior high school together and they always shared and they spoke truth to one another. They told her the truth and his buddies told him the truth. He looked like a clown. She looked like she was wearing a circus tent, but he didn't tell his wife and she didn't tell her husband. They lied so they wouldn't hurt their feelings. But then they went out in public so that everyone could see that she was wear, wearing a circus tent or something that made her appear to be very much larger than what she really was. And he was looking like the clown in the circus car instead of a dapper, dashing man in a, in a nice suit. So they go out in public, they become embarrassed, they allow themselves to be embarrassed by it, <clears throat> and then they allow the agitation to well up in themselves so that they become angry. Had he told her the truth and she told him the truth, they could have taken the clothing back and got a return on it, got their money back for it, or just put on something different that would be more presentable, more flattering and gone out and had a good time and then take that stuff back to the store, get their money back. Nope, they decided to lie about it and then get mad at each other for lying. And here's the other thing about lying too, is that you have, you have what's called the compulsive liar, or in some terms, a pathological liar. And then of course you have a, uh, you have those that are just kind of chronic liars. And there's a difference that when you start dealing about uh, compulsive or pathological liars, they, they find it very difficult to even tell the truth. And that they come to a point and this becomes a very obsessive point is that they, they actually believe that what they're telling is truth. Even when you present, and here's the sad part. You remember I've shared this thing with you before, empirical evidence. It's evidence that's presented that can't be twisted or adjusted and it's just so... Plain, and I mean, this is what I get when I know that the Lord is with me. 
because I am presented with empirical evidence that I can't, it cannot be denied. The evidence is there. I see it when you look at it. And this is what Joshua was telling the children when they were crossing the river and getting ready to go into the promised land. He said, look back. Don't look back and regret and remorse like they had been doing, wandering through the desert and wow, wow, wow. When are we getting water? When are we getting food? We don't like this heavenly bread that the angels eat. Well, there's so many quail and so many pheasants. You know, we were starving, but you fed us. And thank you, Lord God, for watching over us in the desert and bringing us water every time that we thirsted. But wow, 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 complain, complain, complain. But Joshua told them, you look back. You look back in remembrance and you see every single time, every single time that God showed that he was with us with a pillar of cloud, with a pillar of fire at the Red Sea and all these things that happened. And what about the whirlwind that came and brought the pheasant quail and stirred them around the camp and we had food for days. When you were in the midst of all your whining and crying, because we tend to focus not on the things of God. But remember that God calls us and he talks to us, he speaks to us, he brings these things to us. And in my reading, when we respond to God's calling out to us, we, we and I say he and I, are blessed. And then there will be those that say, well, wait a minute, how could, what? wait a second, how are you going to bless God? God's God, how do you bless God? Except that it is, and this is part of the mystery about God. And he shares that we are both blessed. Him by our being with him because we are declaring that he is our heavenly father and we like to have the time with him and spend which is what he desires for us anyway he's a good father he wants to have a personal relationship so when you take that quiet time and you spend it just with him about his business and spending time with god he really really enjoys it He's blessed by it. This is one of the mysteries. And you say, well, how can he bless God? God's God. Well, that's because you're trying to figure it out with your head. Stop it. Stop trying to figure out everything with your head. This is God we're talking about. God is indeed a great mystery. We've been told that, the mystery of God. How is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all together? And how is that bound? How is that possible? It's one of the mysteries of God. And just like when Jesus was talking about talking to Nicodemus about the, the, the wind. You can feel it. Sometimes you can smell it. And you might be able to figure out where it's coming from because sometimes the wind comes in and it smells like the ocean. So you know if you've lived in an area long enough, you can figure out the direction that it's coming from. Or you can kind of figure it out and turn toward it. Yeah, and some of you may remember this or not, but you know, people used to, uh, they used to wet their finger and then 
put their finger up in the in the air and kind of turn their hand from side to side. And when you could feel the chill because of your moist finger turning in the direction that the wind's coming from, so the wind is blowing against it, you might be able to tell. But the thing, the point that I'm making is that you don't know and it comes and it goes. You don't know where it's going. You can't see it. And this is the spirit of the Lord. This is the Holy Spirit music. You can't see it. But you know. You know. And if you have a personal relationship with Lord God Almighty and you have that personal relationship, you know. You do know and you will feel it and sense it. God has this thing. And the gift is, is, is God. God intended this for our enjoyment. Not for us to understand, because remember, the word of God talks about his thoughts are much higher than ours. His ways are higher. You can't figure it out, so stop it. Stop trying to figure it out with your finite mind. Your mind can only go so far. You can't go the distance. with it. You can't do it. You can't go the distance with God. You can't. Just like all these things I share with you, I've shared that the treasury, when I go in and the angel has to open the door because it's so massive. I can't even open the door. It's massive. I can't see the back wall and I can't see the wall either side. I can't see to the ceiling, but he lets me go in and drag the shelves and I pull his treasure out from the shelf and I bring it out and I'm able to share it. He blesses me with that, the opportunity to share that treasure with y'all. And then that shelf I just dragged it off of gets filled up again. It's boundless. You cannot try to figure out with your finite mind the boundaries of God's thoughts and his ways, the depth of his love. You can't figure it out. What's the mystery? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you sit here and you try to figure it out. And this is why people have such an attitude. They get such a, so negative because they try to figure it out and they can't figure it out. So they said, oh, it just can't be true. It just so, it's like the, like those that claim to be scientists. Yeah, right. Or biologists. And now you have these things that they have decided that, that uh, <laughs> now they decided to try to fit them in because it's something that is out there that can't be explained. So now they call them cryptobiologists. I love that. They couldn't figure it out with a mindset. So now it can't be figured out, but the reality is that it's possible. So now they're crypto. Crypto. Which means that it's an unknown, unknown things that are going on out there. So now they have these crypto scientists, a crypto biologist. They can't figure out things and they have no explanation, but the realm of possibility. I just, I, I tell you... <laughs> It's eventually going to come to crypto-Christians. Seriously? That's silly. My faith tells me all the things that I need to know. 
and God designed, he doesn't discourage us to be, have pleasure and, and enjoy. He, it did, he delights in our enjoyment. It's a delight to him. It blesses him to see us happy and pleased. So everything that is true, noble, right, pure, admirable, that we think on these and that we focus on that and that it is, it shines out of us more and more and more. So we focus that thought, that thought process. That's all we do is we focus on God. We focus on those things that he provides for us. We focus on those things that he delights in us to delight in, in truth, knowledge and wisdom that comes from him and things that he's blessed us with. Here's the thing. Let me share this with you. And this is also in the scripture. So you have a man and a woman, and they become desirous for one another, and then they get married. This is what God intended to happen. This is God's intention. So that desire that a man and a woman feel toward one another is not abnormality. And it's not something that you need to think of as being sinful, but just don't allow, if you're, if you're not married, you allow that lust to overwhelm and, and take over. Impurity. Noble, pure, kind, keep it that way. And there are those that are not able to do so. God intended things to be a certain way. And he takes great delight in that. And I'm going to share something. And this translation is a little bit different in, in Isaiah 40 and 31. And as I share with you in the in the King James Version. Oh, pardon me. I just went right by it. Sorry about that. But as the book of Isaiah tells us, sorry, I went by it, so I got to kind of backtrack. And I'm going to share with you, actually. I'm going to start reading in, in verse 28. Has thou not known... Has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. Huh, what I was just telling you. You can't figure it out, so stop trying to. There is no searching of his understanding. His thoughts are too high. They're too deep. You can't figure it out, so quit trying to. Quit trying to be something that you're not. Seth, faith. There is no way to figure out what God's thought process is, so stop trying. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. What did the Bible tell us? What did the New Testament tell us? What does the Bible tell us in the letters from Paul and John and Peter, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? They all describe it. They all talk about it. 
We are weak, but he is strong. In our weakness, he is our strength. And we exhibit that strength in our weakness. Further in verse 30, even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fail. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Wow. So in the one translation there is reading, but those who hope in the Lord. So you have hope in him, faith in him, believe in him, you shall not faint. Shall not faint. You will have strength and that breath, his breath will lift you up, mount you up like on wings of eagles. And he will hold you. He will hold you aloft. And you will soar. You will soar on the wings of eagles. And I'm flipping over here in the Hebrew Bible. I'm going to share with you how it's addressed there. But they who trust in Hashem, Hashem, the Lord thy God, shall renew their strength as eagles grow new plumes. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall march and not faint. Kind of reminds me of that song, Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching Us to War. Remember that we are told that we are in a spiritual warfare. We are in a spiritual battle. That's why God, why would God make us an armor and tell us that we need to put that on if it wasn't necessary? And yet there are those label heads and self-proclaimed Christians that will, oh, that's okay, I read, I read the last chapter. We don't have to do anything. We win. We, so I'm just going to sit over here on my lazy behind, my feet up in the recliner, and suck on beer or suck on juice, drink lots of coffee. I don't have to go out and witness. I don't have to go out and testify. I don't have to take any kind of classes. I don't have to do any studying. We win. I, I, I accepted that the Lord was who he says he is when I was a kid. 
But have you had a personal relationship with the Lord? Do you seek a personal relationship with God? Do you like to spend time with God? Oh, I don't have to do that. We win. Everything's good. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm, it's all good. Well, no, it's not all good. And no, you're not. Because you're not doing what God has called you to do. And what God asked you to do for him. You decide that you're not going to. Because you win. As a military person, I'll share with you that victory is okay, but being an absolute conqueror, there's just something in there. And so do you want to just be, or do you want to be that conqueror that God has called us to be? So therein is a difference. But remember this as we're as it's shared with us in Philippians four. Actually, we find this. If you turn with me to that, I'll share with you. Let's go to Philippians four, and Paul's talking about this. Paul talks, tells us, reminds us to uh, not to be anxious. Um, actually, in the King James, he tells us, be careful for nothing, which translates to don't be anxious about anything. Be careful for nothing. Don't care so much about stuff. You can care, but don't care so much. Just like the difference between being afraid or being fearful, there's a difference. You can care for some things, but don't be so careful that you become so agitated and so wrapped up in it that that's all you can think about, and then you become misguided. And don't fear something so much so that you allow that to govern your reaction, your actions, and the way you do things, and uh, the way you treat other people. So there's a difference between being afraid and being fearful. A great difference. Same thing here. But then further reading in verse 7, Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. Stop trying to figure it out with your finite mind because you're not going to get it. Stop trying. This is God. We're talking about the, the God that created all things, the ancient of days, the name above all names, the things are designed for our enjoyment and not for our understanding. So stop trying, please. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if these be, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. 
Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of your peace shall be with you. Paul's saying, do it. I've done it. You can do it. He's not being arrogant. He's not being obtrusive about anything he's saying. This is just being factual. You see me do it? Do it. Got to practice. It takes practice. Brothers and sisters, it takes practice. And remember that Paul also talks about learning to be content in things. And if we jump down to verse 11, we see that he speaks on that. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am there with to be content. You have to practice it. You have to learn it. It's not something that becomes automatic. Remember, I shared this with you because Paul at one time used to be quite wealthy, actually. He was paid by both the Romans. He was receiving payment from uh, the pharisaical tyrants. And he was being used by them and being paid by them to hunt down any that were in the way. Remember I shared, they weren't called Christians yet. It was spoken of as the way because they were following the way of Jesus Christ. So they called it that, the way. That's how they addressed it. Paul was on the hunt, being paid by the Romans and by the pharisaical tyrants. So he knew how to be content, and he had. And then, of course, he became poor and was imprisoned. And a lot of what he wrote was from prison or being in prison or house arrest. And further reading in verse 12. And I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers, both going out and coming in every day. Be blessed.